0: if I had my crystal ball, I would say there is not much future for travel nursing at Benefits just because of our culture. Um, However, I think for healthcare, it's a great tool in your toolkit that you can utilize in those times of need and just evaluating when the responsible time is to utilize it and when not to. Part of the reason we can also be so creative and nimble with our practices is we're non-union. And so I think that there's some organizations that have different limitations too. Um, and it's understandable. And I, I think um, I also think it's a way of life for certain nurses. And so I hope for people who like that sense of adventure and that model um, that it's available, even if it's not something that we're gonna utilize within our walls.
1: Welcome to an a and Healthcare Industry Group Human Capital and Workforce Management podcast series. Nurses were an integral part of the fight against the pandemic. Travel nursing became essential in some organizations. As the pandemic pressures ease, we sat down with healthcare leaders to hear their perspectives on the future of travel nurses.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Alvarez and Marcel Healthcare Industry Group Human Capital and Workforce Management Podcast. In this podcast series, we discuss the most pressing workforce issues facing healthcare leaders. I'm Bianca Briola, leader of the Healthcare Human Capital and Workforce Management Practice. I have to say, I've really been looking forward to this discussion, mostly because these are two of my favorite hospital administrators and leaders. uh, And also they have a very interesting story and I can't wait for them to share their journey, their information, their organization with our listeners. We're joined by two leaders from Benefits Health System in Great Falls, Montana. Casey Buckingham, Senior Vice President of Human Resources and Rain Gennady, Chief Nursing Officer and Hospital Chief Operating Officer. Casey and Rain, we're so excited to have you as our guests, to have you offer your perspective on the future of travel nursing. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. All right, well let's get started. As I mentioned, I, I'm really excited to chat with you both about Benefits. I've had the opportunity to work with both of you at Benefits several times, and I've always been struck by how unusual an organization Benefits is. Casey, can you tell us a little bit about Benefits and your role there? Sure.
0: Um, Benefis Health System,
2: uh, we are
0: a system that has a continuum of different care, so not just a hospital, but we also have a cancer center, we have a robust heart program, long-term care services, as well as a couple other areas in outpatient services. So we're really um, the hub for medical care in central Montana. We're located in Great Falls our pay- employee population is about 3,400, and 900 of those are nurses so um, a couple of things that i think makes benefits really unique is we are a not-for-profit we're an independent um, organization and we have from a workforce standpoint we have a no layoff policy which was definitely put to task during the beginning of covid And I think another thing that makes us unique since we're talking about traveling nursing is we did not have travelers in our organization after 2007 until recently. So I've been with the organization since August of 2007. And when I interviewed was when we exited our last travelers that we had in the organization that were in our long-term care facility. So we've been traveler free up until the last couple of years with the pandemic. Um, so I think that makes us very unique from an employment model. That's definitely our preference. We've also shifted our providers to more of an employed model and have over 300 providers that are employed with us here at Benefis.
2: Oh, my goodness. So three very interesting things that I'd like for us to talk about. So let's make sure we touch upon all three items that you really pointed out as very unique attributes of of your workforce model. So no travelers until recently, the no layoff policy, and then moving providers to an employment model. So thank you for that introduction. Rain, you have a very interesting role as chief nursing officer and a chief operating officer. I can only imagine that the past few years has been incredibly challenging for someone in your role just based off of scope. What has the past few years looked like for you and benefits? What did the pandemic look like?
1: Thanks, Bianca. You know, certainly, you know, as I think about the healthcare profession, you know, I don't think anyone ever saw or thought that they would experience a pandemic during their career. Um, However, that being said, I think, you know, as you think about caregivers and the role that that we all have in healthcare, I think the biggest impact was just the length of time that this pandemic has gone on and just the the very uh, difficult challenges early on with what, you know, what did care look like for these patients and then how are we ensuring that when, you know, those that were originally diagnosed with COVID were able to connect with loved ones when that couldn't be in the physical presence. And all of those challenges that came with all of the the death that we were seeing initially with that first wave and and just the toll overall that that took on our caregivers um, throughout the nation, um, certainly uh, here in Montana as well. But as it relates specifically to your topic today, I think the the greatest impact that we saw was just this interesting, you know, kind of, you know, just to kind of boil it down to its simplest terms, you had people that that rose to the occasion and wanted to be a part of that each and every day, even over the course of the last two years. And then you had those that decided, you know, maybe nursing wasn't for them and this was not you know, the vision that they had in their minds when they thought about being a nurse. So we saw in the workforce, a lot of people reducing FTEs, stepping out of the workplace, um, maybe even retiring early um, over the course of time. And then in addition to that, you know, as the demand for patient care has increased in the acute care settings, we certainly then had that impact of not enough nurses to take care of the volumes that we were seeing. And so, with that, you that led us to really having a very stressed, overworked, um, burnt out um, just workforce, just in general. And when you kind of add all of those things together, it it has been an ongoing challenge that I think, while the pandemic may be subsiding, I think we're truly not even to the peak of the impact that we'll see on our caregivers.
2: Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Um, I'm surprised that you said that and and also troubled and and wonder if the activity that we're seeing with resignation and reshuffling, if this is not only just the beginning, but if we're going to experience a protracted and long-term reshuffling of the deck. Um, So that's very fascinating. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you said, so you shared with me two different factors that were significant pressures. One, those leaving for various reasons that you mentioned, and then a surge in volume, of course. Casey mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that up until the pandemic, you did not use any travelers. Can you tell me about the environment that Benefits was in that allowed you to operate without travelers? That's such an enviable position for many organizations that would love to be without the use of the most expensive labor type.
1: You know, I think what I would say is we have just a a culture of creativity here. Um, First of all, we are Medicare break even, which not many hospitals in the nation can say that. With that um, becomes kind of our challenge, right? You have to marry finance and quality of care together which is often something that as a nurse or as clinicians, you know, we don't learn about in school, but there is a fine balance there and those have to go hand in hand. And so when you think about that, I think it's important that um, you're always mindful. And so what we've done internally is a, a lot of education and have had a lot of dialogues with our bedside staff on the importance of the financial and the quality impact in healthcare. And so with that then becomes, you know, really the conversation of how do we make sure that we are taking really good care of our our patients in our community and in our region? And how do we make sure we're taking really good care of the nurses who take care of those patients? And for us, when you think about um, some of the um, high cost uh, contracts that are associated with travelers, it became very easy for us to say, you know, we really want to make sure that we are recognizing the contributions of those individuals that are in our, living in our community and dedicated to benefits Health System. And so we made it a priority to not have travelers so that we could look at creative ways, um, not only to ensure that we are um, you know, keeping those individuals in our health system working, but there were rewarding them monetarily for their efforts and really focusing that internally. So, when you think about some of the staffing challenges that then come with that, we have done multiple things like cross training across our health system. Casey mentioned that earlier. I mean, we are very lucky that I have an outpatient clinical practice right across the street. And those nurses that work over there are cross-chained in the hospital and vice versa. I have nurses that can go over and help in the outpatient setting, although that doesn't happen as often. But those nurses from outpatient then, when we see increases in census, are able to come over and help resource at the bedside with nurses um, that are typically in those roles and competent to really help out um, to take care of the patients at the time. And so that is just one example of a way that we have just really used you know creative uh, ways to redeploy if you will nurses across the health system some of those may be in office settings to take care of patients when we need them you know that that is definitely one of the strategies that other
2: organizations use during the pandemic but up until that time they they really didn't explore more of that job sharing that's probably not the right term but Casey, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization? Like how many staff members you employ um, and then also your market? What are some of the other major employers in the area? That's more of my own curiosity to kind of help set some context.
0: Sure, you bet. We have around 3,400 employees and 900 of them hold nursing license. We also, Bianca, are really careful when we're creating new positions, really looking at does it require a nursing license or can it be other ancillary service um, criteria just because we want to make sure we're not taking our nurses from the bedside or presenting that as the only option. So that's another way that we really look at that we do have a for-profit smaller organization um, that's local here and then we have an air force base which that doesn't make a big difference to anybody unless you're in a town that has a military presence because of that we actually get some really great experienced employees in a variety of different fields that come work for our organization great falls is normally about a five-year deployment for people and so we do have the benefit of having um, the air force base which also brings some diversity to our organization which is another a really great thing for us
2: yeah agreed thank you for answering that question i've been to great falls it's a wonderful town i can see why you attract individuals to your organization it is a beautiful location So let's chat a little bit more about the topic related to the future of travel nursing. I want to learn what happened, right? So so you had this practice, it's not a policy, but a practice to to not utilize travelers or contingent workforce unless absolutely necessary, and that afforded you the opportunity to be travel-less for quite some time. But then the pandemic happened. Can you tell us about how your practice around contingent workforce change, Casey, and you don't have to limit it necessarily to nursing if you use other uh, traveler or contingent labor. I'd love to hear about it.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that during the pandemic, it kind of snuck up on us and it snuck up on us because our state um, paid for it on our behalf. And so we had some state funding. We had FEMA, we had National Guard and we had contingent workers that were coming in and helping us and and really appreciated it. We weren't paying the bill and we weren't seeing the bill. And so um, it's it I that's why I would say they kind of came in disguise at first we knew they were coming and we definitely needed the help and we had um, increased census and so it was great to be onboarding fresh faces and people that were really coming in and helping our tired and wary um, workforce and so really when we first started having contingent workers we weren't footing the cost of it um, which was very nice and however we knew that wasn't going to last forever and those funds were going to disappear very quickly so we just made sure we had a really good strategy around what areas we were going to have traveling nurses we also have respiratory therapists um, and have had a couple other areas even in our critical access hospital as well and so just keeping a very close eye on how many um and extending contracts what that was going to look like and so when we did start getting um we converted the state contracts over to ours and started paying for those um but just being very conscientious on how many and for how long that we had for contingent workers and the rest of the organization we really don't have um traveling contracts we do have some agency personnel that work for organizations that we outsource that work inside of our facility and so we still can really consider them more of an employed model because it's the same people every day um, not a revolving door of people coming and going or different faces and so really the during the pandemic has been the only time we've really had any contingent workers Um, at all in our organization besides who we have a couple contracts with.
2: So what about now, Casey? Um, Will benefits be using contingent workforce travel nurses moving forward? Do you still have folks in-house that are considered contingent or travelers? And what specialties, what shifts, what does that look like?
0: So right now we have... 12 so we've really reduced the number I think at our peak we maybe had between 60 and 70 um, from a headcount um, but have really tried to reduce those as our census is loosening up and as our hiring practices are on the right track our plan really is to not have any travelers by the end of the summer even midsummer. Um, is what our goal is. And we're really moving back to our philosophy that works so well for us is we would rather pay that extra money to the people that are committed to the organization um, and our patients and taking care of their neighbors than pay a premium for external help. And so that strategy has worked for us. It's really what our employees are used to and like as well, um, because I know during this time We've had a lot of people who did not like working next to somebody, even though they were there to help, that were getting the premium pay offering that they were. So really, that's what our strategy is. Respiratory therapy is an area we've needed additional help in, CNAs in our critical access, and some cath lab personnel as well um, are the kind of the areas outside of just the acute nursing that we've needed assistance.
2: Yeah, usual suspects. We hear about those roles across the nation. So that is one area you're not unique, um, but still very interesting. So this is a question for you, Casey, as well. There's some talk, we hear about it in the news, and this might just be more hype than not, and I want to get your take on it, that there might be some federal or state-level legislation to regulate or cap travel nursing, and the intention is to limit cost and, you know, address some of the things that you're talking about. Do you think that this will come to fruition?
0: So, I can only speculate. My my thinking is it, it will not, because organizations and travel companies still have to it's a supply and demand setting and so i mean it's really no different than some other things like gas prices and i i just i don't see price fixing from a compensation standpoint happening um just because there's areas travel nurses would like to go, that probably um, just with supply and demand, even when the market's more steady with nursing license and not having as many shortages, I, I just don't see that happening. It's interesting to watch. I think the most important thing for us is that the misinformation is that all organizations or nursing wages are being capped and not just with travel companies. And so that's part of... I think just min- misinformation and an understanding on um, employees' parts, where they think that we're actually capping those wages on an employment model, which we're not. Um, so it, it is. It's interesting to hear the buzz out there, and it's then interesting to hear the rumors associated with the buzz.
2: Yeah. You know, you're using the term misinformation and that resonates with me. We had a conversation with an executive of a travel nursing agency and he spoke to misinformation as well and very similar in concept to what you just shared that there's this misconception that um, travel agencies and organizations are driving up wages Um, and he educated us a little bit about the supply and demand and how the nursing travelers, they really can help support those wages and what they're asking for, as well as where they're willing to go. So there's a lot more that the public doesn't necessarily see. And you as a consumer of travel nurses, you also can educate us a little bit. So that's very helpful. So Rain, big question from you for you. Casey had mentioned that there's this investment that BENEFIS is making in existing staff, right? So keep them happy so that they don't leave or that they feel engaged, that they're more willing to um, take part in the journey of the organization. And you would rather invest in that staff than, for example, bring in contingent workforce. She also mentioned that maybe some of the staff wasn't really excited about working side by side next to contingent laborers. Can you kind of suss that out a little bit? Talk to us a little bit about what you heard from your nursing staff and other staff about having contingent workforce and travelers at benefits.
1: You know, I think certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, when we really, as Casey talked about, when kind of the help from the state was, you know, exiting the organization, we knew that we needed to reach out, you know, for the first time in my 20-year career here. um, I experienced, you know, that first, you know, reach out to to a traveling company from a contract perspective. And as we did that, I mean certainly for eight months to a, a year, the it was needed. And and I think um I think our workforce overall was extremely appreciative. Over time, as I think we got I, I don't know if you could ever get used to the pandemic, but as we learned more and we understood how to care for these patients. And we were able to really develop kind of strong plans of care and standards of care around COVID. Um, That is when I think the discussion shifted a little bit. As we saw, maybe some of our volumes still very high, but not, you know, stabilize a little bit. Conversation shifted more to, gosh, you know, I'm still having to work as an employee of benefits. I'm still having to work more you know what is what is my benefit what is what is out there for me and those are very fair questions um and so as we started the minute we start to hear those kinds of things um that is one of the things i think is unique casey and i have a very strong relationship as it relates to employee um, face time and really getting their feedback so we immediately started doing focus groups with our employees to talk about really what it was about was retention at the end of the day what are we doing to continue not only to help staff and hire, because those things are important. So you needed the travelers, you needed to continue to recruit, but what are you doing to take care of me? Your employee that is dedicated and a part of your family. And those conversations um, kind of led us down a path, if you will, or an action plan of things that internally we looked at. So always we're looking at our market-based pay and things like that, but our shift differentials strong enough Um, weekend pay, some of those pay incentives that you have that are very standard across, you know, the organization. But I think the one that really ended up coming to fruition for us as it relates directly to pay is a concept of triple time. And so essentially the idea was as employees internally are picking up an extra shift each pay period, if by their choice or extra shifts, plural, Because some do that, that first shift is paid out to them at a triple time wage. Um, And that was very much a grassroots um, suggestion by our employees that we were able to implement that um, made them feel heard, made them feel like, and made them feel like they were appreciated for the extra work that they're doing as it relates to that compensation comparison to travelers. Okay, so I have questions about
2: triple time because <laughs> this is interesting, and I haven't heard anyone use the triple time term yet. Is it still in effect? Yes. And is it the intention that this will be the policy or program moving forward, or do you have plans of sunsetting eventually?
1: So it's a great question because that will take you right back to where I started when with it's a balance between our our clinical team and quality and outcomes and finance. And so as we developed that plan, we do so in partnership with finance. Mm -hmm. So at the time when it was developed, there were three or four indicators, if you will, that have to be met when that would then sunset. So those indicators kind of very broadly are back to a budgeted census. So not seeing the extreme volumes that we're seeing today. Um, that our units, you know, we all have a budgeted average daily census or an area where we'd like to see our staffing on average. When our units are back to those kind of budgeted average numbers, then the triple time would sunset. So those are just a couple of the metrics, if you will, that we put in place when this was rolled out um, to determine when it would in fact be sunsetted.
2: You know, you're you're speaking in a way that Reminds me why your organization is one of my favorites is that discipline and rigor and really using data to make operational decisions. This is a perfect, perfect example. Um, So very, very impressive and and one that we would recommend right is is having these clear timelines and toll gates to follow in order to sunset a policy. So I guess. My question for you is, was this communicated to the staff more broadly? So do they know what the future of that process and and program will be?
1: It was, and you know, when when we did that, we boldly communicated it to all employees, those impacted and not impacted um, for a number of reasons. One, we have also a culture of transparency Um, Two, you know, as a as a health system, when you you don't serve, we survive because we have a great team and it's important that I think every employee in our health system knows what we're doing to take care of our employees. And so in that communication, we did share with them what those kind of metrics were that would allow us then to sunset this practice.
2: That's so impressive. I, I've always really admired the approach that your leadership team has taken for this type of work, so um, well done. I guess I have a question for both of you now. I'd like to hear from both of you, and maybe we start with you, Casey. Get out your crystal ball, the question of the hour. What I've been asking all of the leaders and experts for this particular episode is, what does the future of travel nursing look like? What do you think?
0: Well, here at Benefits, if I had my crystal ball, I would say there is not much future for travel nursing at Benefits just because of our culture. Um, however, I think for healthcare, it's a great tool in your toolkit that you can utilize in those times of need and just evaluating when the responsible time is to utilize it and when not to. Part of the reason we can also be so creative and nimble with our practices is we're non-union. And so I think that there are some organizations that have different limitations, too, um, and it's understandable. And I I think um, I also think it's a way of life for certain nurses. And so I hope for people who like that sense of adventure and that model Um, That it's available, even if it's not something that we're going to utilize within our walls. So that's that's my crystal ball. I mean, I'm hoping that this might be the one and only time I've had an experience with travel companies. We've had a really great partnership um, with the group that we're working with. And so, I think we had a positive experience, even though it's not where we want to be from a, from a model standpoint. But I do. I think there is a future, and I think it's a good tool for people who need resources, especially when there's workforce shortages.
2: Rain, how about you? From your perspective, being boots on the ground in operations for nursing, what does the future of travel nursing look like for you? What do you what do you think is going to happen to the industry?
1: You know, I, I think I I completely agree with what Casey has said, and I I would just offer, you know, one perspective that I wish I could maybe look at a little different. If I'd have known what I knew know now, that maybe I would have changed. And and that is really about just what happened. I think what I saw across our PPS hospitals in the state of Montana if i could go back at the beginning i wish we would have if if you will kind of locked arms because what we ended up doing i think is even internally driving some of our own costs up across the state because we would have nurses leave say organization a in the state and travel 2 hours to organization b in the state and for a much higher wage and i think you know that if we could have addressed that maybe as a you know as a group, as a as a kind of a state effort, um, I think it would have it would have helped us all a little bit differently in that we wouldn't have had that that loss of people internally across our different organizations to go and travel. Um, you know, that is obviously a, a crystal ball, you know, kind of a, a look back, but I think that is one of my lessons learned, if you will, um, in regards to maybe what I would have done different.
2: Mm, that's that's very interesting. And yes, some states were more organized than others, but I think that unanimously folks would agree that there was a fear, a flurry of unnecessary competition created, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, that really caused both supply issues and generated increased costs that now, we are trying very hard to pull back, but it's been challenging, you know, once you go so far, it's difficult to go back. Well, we've concluded our initial questions about this topic. I do wanna ask you about one more thing. So Casey, in the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned your no layoff policy, and this is very unusual. You don't see this often in a hospital or health system, not because of lack of interest or lack of desire, but, I think that there's a lack of commitment that they'll be able to fulfill that policy i'd love to understand from your perspective you know what generated what brought you to the point of creating this policy and and how have you been able to um, maintain this policy for so long
0: perfect yeah i'd love to talk about it our policy was initiated in 2002 and what makes that a milestone event it's when our CEO John Goodnow came to Benefice and created it to make sure that employees knew that we were committed to them because they were committed to us. I started in 2007, and it definitely was a great recruitment tool for me as an HR professional because I hadn't ever heard of them, I hadn't ever seen one, and I hadn't known an organization who had them in place. And so it is very unique, very unique in healthcare. And I think we've had two waves of times where it's been put to test a little bit, um, and especially during the pandemic. And so a great example is during the pandemic, when other organizations were doing layoffs or furloughs we didn't and so we did have a short period of time where we shut down different services and those employees were redeployed to other areas in our organization their pay was kept whole um, but they maybe were doing something very different so we may have had physical therapists that were working in our pop-up child care center for employees That we had and their pay and benefits remained all in place. And so the no layoff policy is really what it is. It's our commitment to employees that they have security in their job. Part of the reason it was initiated too is because our CEO, and I agree with the statement that if you have layoffs, it's a failure of leadership. It's not a failure of your employees. And so really living up to that promise and that commitment. And a lot of years it's very easy because we are not looking at services that are um, struggling. But during the pandemic, we really utilized it heavily. And I was very proud of being able to make sure that there were no lost wages, there were no layoffs, and we really supported our employees and their families during a really tough time when other
2: organizations were not doing the same. Yeah, agreed. Well, once again, uh, you, you prove that benefits is a very unusual place. And I don't mean unusual in a bad way uh, you're in a very unique position with very unique leaderships, leadership that has a very unique philosophy and and i think that if anything great case study something to to provoke thought and certainly a great networking um, opportunity if other organizations are interested in learning about the benefits secret sauce this is uh, you you're giving us some insight into what's going on there so thank you both for being so honest with us and offering your perspective. I really appreciate your time.